James chapter 1. We're going to pick it up today in verse 2. And if you were with us last week, uh, you remember that James is a general epistle. It is a letter written by uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the Apostle James, to a group of scattered Christians, and he is seeking to encourage them and help them uh, on their way in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. <coughs> you may also recall uh, that their situation is both similar and different from ours. They are being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Uh, we are not being persecuted, but we are in various kinds of difficulties, and so that's what he wants to talk about today. Let's pick it up in verse 2. He says this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so when we hear that word count, we usually think, uh, what do we think of? We think of the count from uh, Sesame Street, one, two, three, four. Or we think about counting on fingers and toes. <coughs> not what he means here, he means to consider. And when he says joy here, he's not just talking about happiness. He's talking about <coughs> a true and complete joy that comes only from Christ. And so one translation has this as, Count yourselves supremely happy. And the real crux of this is when he says to do it. When you meet trials, and then he says of various kinds. And the way that that word trials is used here, uh, it could be mean, mean temptations. It's used that way later in the book. But here he talks about anything <coughs> that could put us to the test. And in their immediate context, that would have been the natural repercussions of what they were dealing with and enduring for their faith. They would have been <coughs> persecuted, driven from their homes, suffering economic loss of various kinds. But it can also be applied to any difficulty that any of us are experiencing. And this word here, various kinds, literally could be translated as multicolored, and it is intended to communicate variety of difficulties. And so when you take this together, the first piece of truth that this passage is going to give us is that in a fallen world, trials of various shapes and sizes are inevitable. In a fallen world, trials of various shapes and sizes are inevitable. <coughs> so be it a pandemic, be it persecution, be it drama, be it dilemma, they are part and parcel of living life on planet Earth. And this is not new. You begin in the beginning of the Bible, starts off great. For like two pages. And then after that, the uh, wheels come off. The people who had one job could not do it, and the rest of us have suffered ever since. But before we judge Adam and Eve too harshly, uh, we would not have fared much better. But I like to take a page from the ancient theologian G.I. Joe when he says, knowing is half the battle. Because if we know the score of the game that we are playing, know the world is broken, know that it is not functioning as it should be, it is going to help us immensely in dealing with the world uh, in which we now live. And let me just say, it has been both my personal and professional experience that the entire COVID situation has only made this worse. Uh, it is no secret that I am still... Uh, on my COVID recovery journey, I am trying hard to not get the next version of the virus. We'll see how that goes. 
But I feel like COVID is, has infected the whole world as well, not just the people in it. I, when people talk to me about how things work now in the pandemic, I'm like, you know, it's kind, you ever had a door in your house that it's like it just doesn't shut all the way? Like, that's the world now. The door doesn't shut. Uh, it doesn't shut. It like it creaks. You can oil it. It's, it's just falling off. That's where we're at. And I think just knowing that and kind of realigning our expectations Man, it just really helps. Because if you go into situations and you go, you know, there's just probably going to be something about this whole deal, whatever it is, whether it's buying a car or buying a stock or buying a house, there's just, there's just going to be trouble. If we know that and we are prepared for that, I think it helps us in the way that James would walk us down this path. That if we see trials of various shapes and sizes as inevitable, then we are more prepared to do what he is saying here in the midst of them. Now, look back at it. What does he say? He says, count it all joy. Now, let's kind of unpack this here. Let's start with what he's not saying. So, James is not a spiritual masochist. He is not saying, hey, you should think it's awesome when your house burns down or you fall down the stairs and almost die, or like half your people get wiped out by, I don't know, some crazy virus. You don't have to look at those situations and go, this is great, because the Bible is filled with lament. The Bible is filled with scriptures that talk about difficulty of various kinds, and the goodness and the joy that he is leading us toward here comes not from the bad thing, but from the good that God does in the midst of the bad thing. And I think we got to make that distinction, that bad things happen, and God still does good things in response to those bad things because God himself is good. And so that's how he can say to these people that have been driven from their homes, some of their family members have literally been killed, they've lost their businesses, some of them, And he's saying, listen, you need to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds because, and then he's going to unpack this in the verses to come, because that pain has a purpose. That pain has a purpose. And he begins to unpack it in verse 3. Look at it. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the way this is constructed here. Uh, in the Greek, and you can also see it in the English here, is he gives this command, count it all joy, and now he gives the basis for the command. Here's why you should do this. And the why is that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now let's talk about testing of the faith. This word that is used here denotes a positive test intended to make one's faith genuine. And the image that comes to mind here uh, is that of a refining fire. I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, gold or platinum or silver, just some metal that uh, exists, and then they have to burn away all the impurities. (coughs) That's the, the imagery that he's using here, that God takes the fire of trial and he burns away the impurities to lead us somewhere. And where is it that he is leading us? Look at it. It says it produces steadfastness. Now, that word is fascinating. It means endurance. It means persistence. It means a spiritual stick-to-itiveness. 
And so the purpose of the pain, the reason we can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds is because God is using those awful situations as a crucible to burn away the impurity and bring forth spiritual stick to within us. That pain, that's its purpose. I love what Sam Storm says about this. He said, there is always design in our distress. God so values our trust in him alone that he will graciously dismantle everything else in the world that we might be tempted to rely on, even life itself, if necessary. Because his desire is that we grow deeper and stronger in our confidence that he himself is all that we need. That's encouraging, and that's wicked challenging, isn't it? So let me ask a couple of questions for us here. Number one, the perspective that James is leading us toward here, is that our current perspective on trials? That we see that God has a purpose for them. That he wants to use them to build this spiritual endurance, this spiritual stick to this Christ-like character within us. Do we see that that's what God is up to in the midst of our pain? Second question. Whether we see that or not, do you know what your default setting is when the trials come into your life? Because for all of us, we are a messy mix of wanting to do the right thing, but sometimes doing exactly the opposite. And for all of us, we have these moments where we get it right and then we get it really wrong. And we will trust Jesus, and then we will turn around and say, where in the world is God? Why is he doing this to me? That's, that's who we are as people. But for some of us, we can fall a little deeper than that. And we go from questions into questionable behaviors. And we can get into some real darkness real fast. And we can turn to things like the overuse of alcohol, or uh, we can get into sexual addiction of various kinds. We can, we can have all kinds of problems because pain and suffering is disorienting. It, it reminds me of what uh, the great theologian Mike Tyson had to say about a fight plan. He said, everybody has a wonderful plan for the fight until they get punched in the mouth. And then all that just goes right out the window. Ain't that true? That's exactly what happens to us when the trials of life come upon us, be it a cash flow problem or a coronavirus problem. And so we need to know kind of what our weaknesses are, the, the proclivities that we might have, the things that we might be tempted to go down the wrong path with. And here's the thing. They are not always the same. You can take even a crowd like this, 50, 75, 80 people here, Everybody, there's going to be some things that some people struggle with, some things that the groups struggle with, say men or women, and then certain things that you personally are going to be tempted with when the trials come. And again, I think, kind of to go back to what we said before, knowing what those are is really helpful so that you are prepared when those inevitable trials come. So my hope is, and 
dredging up some of this for you is that you would begin to say, okay, how can I set myself up for success instead of continue down the path of failure? That's not something we're going to sort out necessarily in this sermon, but that's something that you need to think about, you need to pray about. If you're in a Thrive group, it would be good if the men or women that you meet with know about those things so that they can help you when those inevitable trials come. Because what we want is the production of steadfastness. We don't want falling completely off of whatever proverbial wagon that all of us are on in various ways. We want to see fleeing to Christ, not fleeing to comfort. We want to see going to Jesus, not turning to junk. And we need to prepare ourselves now so that that would happen. Now, let's look a bit further down here. He says here, (coughs) and let this steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. So same word that he talked about here, the spiritual stick to having its full effect, the, the language there means that it needs to finish its work, to follow its path to the end of the line. <coughs> and the end of the line is multifaceted here, talking about being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when we hear this, <coughs> I think we most often misinterpret it. We go, oh, okay, well, I'm not perfect, so, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm perfect and, you know, kind of this humility vibe and that kind of thing. But that, that's not what he's talking about here with perfection. He's talking about <coughs> spiritual maturity. And so what he's getting at here is more in line with what Peter David says. He says it like this. Perfection <coughs> is not just a maturing of character, but a rounding out as more and more parts of the righteous character are added. Thus, maturity is in a dynamic state in which a thousand parts of us are honed, shaped, tempered, and brought together, making a dynamic wholeness. And here's what I think about when I think about this. I actually think about video games. So we're taking a real trip through my childhood today. I've talked about G.I. Joe. Now you get to hear about Mario. So when I was uh, a young teen, a wee lad, probably 12 years old, sitting at the end of my bed way too close to the television. I mean, we're talking like three, four feet I played all the games. There was Contra, there was Mario, <coughs> I had all the greats. And in the midst of that, one thing I learned is that every one of these games, you kind of start with, I don't know, basic Mario, we'll call him that. He could do a few things, he could run, he could run fast, he could jump on Koopa Troopas, uh, those little mushroom-looking people, whatever they were called. But as the game got along further, it got harder. It got more complex, the bosses were more difficult. So Mario had to take on some new skills. And Mario had to learn how to, by the time you got to, what was it, Super Mario World, this guy could fly, he had a cape, he could ride on a dinosaur that could eat other things. It was amazing. But he had to mature in his video game hero journey. And that's what God wants to do with us through our trials. Because the further you go in life, the bigger the bosses get. The further you go in life, the faster you have to learn to run. The further you go in life, the more difficult the terrain becomes. So you need more skills. You need more abilities. You need more stick to if you want to get all the way to the end. And so God uses these trials to give you those skills. 
to draw you into a place where you realize that He is your only hope. That He is better than enough money saved for retirement. That He is better than enough cash in the bank right now, which could ultimately be taken away. That He is more secure than whatever crypto everybody's trying to figure out to make enough money to not have to think about it. That God is the most secure investment and the most secure anchor and the one who can give us the skills that we need to navigate that which is ahead. He is our portion and our hope. Also, like what Dick Suimi said about this whole situation. He said this, Life on earth would not be worth much if every source of irritation were removed. Yet most of us rebel against the things that irritate us and count as heavy loss what ought to be rich gain. We are told that the oyster is wiser, that when an irritating object like a bit of sand gets under his mantle of his shell, he simply covers it over with the precious part of his being and makes of it a pearl. Every irritation that gets into our lives today is an opportunity for pearl culture. The more irritations the devil flings at us, the more pearls we may have. We need only to welcome them and cover them completely with love. That most precious part of us and the irritation will be smothered out as the pearl comes into being. What a store of pearls we may have, if we will. Isn't that a great image? Kind of like the one from before. Kind of hard, right? Because we don't want to hear that. I mean, we live in this wonderful land of Williamson County where everybody's shiny and happy and together and smiling at all times. But let's be honest. Even here, the world is still a door that doesn't shut. But what if we saw these irritations like Dick Suimi said to see them? As ways that God can use them to create pearl culture within us. To be shaped and changed and have more spiritual endurance come out of us than we ever thought possible. But then not just to have those pearls for ourselves, but also have those pearls to give to others. Because part of the spiritual journey that we're all on isn't simply becoming a disciple for ourselves. It's to help make disciples of all the nations. In fact, what is the, the, the vision of our church? It is to make disciples that make disciples for the glory of God. So that means that some of the suffering you have endured, it's supposed to bear fruit in your life and in the lives of other people. And you're not here in this moment, in this season, in this room by any accident. And part of the reason why we beat the community drum so hard in this church is because the people around you need your story. They need to know about your struggle. They need to know about how God has shown up and shown himself faithful in your life. Because when they're down, maybe you're going to be up. And the, the word that you're going to share with them is going to give them hope to carry on in the midst of their own trial of various kinds. So the pearl culture that is being produced here isn't just in you, it's also in your church. It's also in your office. It's also in your conversations with people around your sphere of influence. 
So we aren't just following Jesus simply for us. We are following Jesus in addition for those around us. And we need to be faithful so that God might make us fruitful in the midst of all this. But let's bring it all together. Where does all this come together? Friends, it comes together in Christ. Because the best news in this passage is not simply that our pain has a purpose. That's good news. But the best news is that there was an ultimate pain endured by the ultimate servant that has fulfilled the ultimate purpose for us. See, Jesus came and he was faced with trials of various kinds. And unlike us, he didn't fail and fumble and fall down on the spiritual job. He did exactly what he was supposed to do at all times. And because of his perfection, we have hope in our imperfection. Because Jesus never failed, we can go to him when we can't seem to stop failing. And we don't go to him in judgment, we go to him because of his grace, and he welcomes us in. And we don't have to be afraid to tell him the truth because he already knows the truth because he himself is the truth. And so the purpose in our pain ultimately is to bring us to Christ. It's to make us like Jesus. It is to draw us in in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have been drawn in in some other way. And so the questions that I want to end with this morning are these. Number one, do you know this Jesus? And I don't mean in some abstract way that maybe you heard a story in a history class, but I mean, do you know him? Is he your friend? Have you come to the place where you admitted that you're a sinner, you believed in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and you confessed your sins and committed to follow him? If that great exchange has never taken place in your life in just a bit, when the rest of us take communion, you hold off, but man, you take Christ, and we want to help you on your new spiritual journey. If you do know him, what is the Spirit speaking to you most loudly through this passage? Is it to correct your perspective on trials? Is it to, to warn you to be on guard against these weaknesses that we all have? Is it to remind you that the purpose of the pain really is to do something in you so that God might do something through you in the lives of others? Friends, whatever it is, let's be sensitive to the Spirit and ask for what only God can do even now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the hope that it offers, the comfort that it provides, the challenge that it is. But Lord, we thank you most that you've reminded us again that our spiritual destiny is to be like Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to pray and ask that you would use this word in such a way that that is further facilitated. That we take another step on that road of becoming more like Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had. We pray for more of it in the future. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.